Welcome to Vital Voices. Today's program is a tribute to our military veterans and those currently affiliated with the military. Our guest, Doug Taylor, served in the United States Army during the Vietnam War. After going through the ROTC program at East Tennessee State University. That program, by the way, marks its 70th anniversary this year. Doug would go on to finish his degree after his tour of duty in Vietnam, but what he experienced in Southeast Asia would change him forever. After graduation, he took a job in the registrar's office at ETSU and eventually became admissions director for the Quillen College of Medicine, where he is still employed today. Doug, welcome to Vital Voices. Thank you, Fred. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's start out with how you were feeling in the 1960s as the Vietnam War was escalating, as you were finishing high school, headed for college. Tell me about the stress level in your life, knowing that Vietnam might very well be in your future. Well, Vietnam was in the future of most young men that didn't go straight to college out of high school. If you went to college, that that was a reprieve uh, for a while. It was a stressful time. You know, nobody likes the thought of uh, getting shot at. The war was very unpopular, although... In East Tennessee, it was a little calmer than it was in, in, in most other places. And East Tennesseans have a little different way of thinking about things like that as far as what your obligations are to your country. And you fell in line with that thinking. In, indeed. Yes, sir. I, I'm no hero. I, I didn't volunteer for anything out of the way. I just uh, waited on them to call me. When they called me, I, I did what they asked me to do. You graduated from Morristown High School in 1966. Right. Uh, what happened thereafter? Well, I came I came to school at East Tennessee State University, one of the best choices I ever made in my life. I came to ETSU. I was really not a serious student, but I knew as long as I stayed at ETSU, I wouldn't have to. I wouldn't be drafted. I could keep that two S deferment uh, and uh, stay out of the draft. I had a had a great time in college. I had more of a great time at college than I had in college. Uh, I learned a lot and a whole lot more outside the classroom than I learned in the classroom. But uh, that eventually ended. Before we get into the Vietnam experience, let's talk about ROTC at East Tennessee State. This is the 70th anniversary of that program. It started in 1953, and it, it was a requirement at the time it you was. were in college. Yes, it was. Uh, all uh, young men uh, entering uh, and were required to take uh, two years of uh, ROTC here. And, and uh, as I remember, uh, there were no classes at ETSU on third period on Thursdays because that was drill time. And that's when all the young men uh, would put on your uniform and shine your brass and go down and, and oftentimes collect your rifle out of the armor. And uh, you would go down on the football field and you learn drill and ceremony. Uh, they taught you to, uh, you know, how to, how to march around and uh, taught you a lot about discipline and respect. How did that two-year experience in ROTC here at ETSU end up helping you as a soldier in Vietnam? ROTC taught me about the Army and how the Army worked. The Army works different than civilian life does, and uh, it's very regimented, uh, very uh, discipline-oriented, and I, I learned, uh, I kind of learned how to play the game. Let's 
fast forward just a little bit to Christmas of 1968. Tell me what happened the day after Christmas. I was uh, not in school during the fall uh, quarter of, of that year. I was back in Morristown, uh, had a little job down there. And the uh, day after Christmas, you got that dreaded letter in the mailbox that you could see through the glassine window where it said greetings. And that's what the first word was. And that uh, uh, you knew what it was. Got it the day after Christmas and uh, waited a day or two before I told my parents I had it. I did tell the lady at the draft board, thank you for not sending it the day before Christmas. <laughs> and she had said, she said, I knew you boys. I didn't want to mess up your Christmas. So I waited late on Christmas Eve before I put those letters in the mail. Wow. So it told us to uh, report on the ninth day of January and the rainy, cold morning, the ninth of January, uh, we all reported at the post office. How did your parents react to that letter? My dad was a World War II veteran and, um, and, and and like me, a patriot, that's where I got to be a patriot, I expect. Uh, he honored his country, honored his service. Uh, he, he honored everything American, and I do too. And uh, he didn't like it. And, and I'll tell you this, when I was in Vietnam, I got a letter from my dad every single day. Now, sometimes it didn't say much, and sometimes we didn't get letters every day. But when the mail would come two or three days later, there'd be two or three letters. Wow. You still have those letters? I have some of them. Yeah, I do. Uh, do you remember the content of any that really touched you? He just, when he told me, he was proud of me. So on the 9th of January, what did you do? Uh, we boarded a, a, a bus in, in uh, at the post office in downtown Morristown and headed towards the reception station in, in Knoxville and did a little processing there. And then they sent us uh, on a bus on to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, where we spent two months, I guess a little over two months, uh, in basic training. Having my ROTC background and knowing the Army way, I learned to play the Army game, and I played it as hard as I could play it going in and coming out. Believe it or not, uh, I was selected as the basic combat trainee of the cycle over 1,100 other kids. <laughs> Came out with the Commanding General's Award, and uh, that was uh, quite an honor. I went from there. We, we graduated uh, that afternoon, and uh, they put us on a bus uh, down to Fort Polk, Louisiana. Not a very pleasant place to be, but it was good preparation for where we went from there. They offered me a, a two-week leadership preparation course, which I gratefully accepted. Then went in and did my uh, AIT, my infantry training. On graduation, I, I graduated at the top of that class also, and they offered me uh, the opportunity to go to NCO school. I asked the question, does that extend my time? They said no, and I said, I'll take it. That was two months over at uh, Fort Benning, Georgia. Came out of there with a non as a non-commissioned officer at uh, about the end of May. They sent us from there to uh, back to Fort Polk for a little drill sergeant school. Then sent us up to uh, Fort McClellan, Alabama, where we actually trained infantry troops there. All right. Describe the day you left the States for Southeast Asia. Well, it was kind of a dark day. It, uh, we, uh, uh, I, I, I left Knoxville, flew uh, out to uh, San Francisco, got on a, an extended uh, 707 out there with all these other guys, and we took off, and we... Uh, Landed at uh, Long Bend, Vietnam. Well, we actually went through Alaska and Japan to get there. It was a 24-hour flight to get there. Long one. But uh, we got on the ground. I can, I can remember flying in. As I looked out the window of the plane coming in, all you could see was tracers 
flying back and forth under you. And I thought, my God, they're landing us in a firefight. And come to find out later what what it was, they actually had the quad 50 machine guns positioned at the end of the runway. And every flight that came in, quad 50 had a maximum range of a little over four miles. So they would just strafe out in front of the runway for four miles with those quad 50s to make sure there were no bad guys out there taking pot shots to these flights bringing in the mm. bringing in the new guys but that was a quite scary thing you looked down you didn't know what was happening you thought they were landing you in the middle of a firefight and sure what was your encampment like in vietnam the conditions you were in the day-to-day living it varied generally i, I served up in what they called i corps which was in the northern part of the country with a unit that's a very unique unit that uh the only uh, American fighting unit that has never been on American soil. It's, it's a unique unit, the only one. We were uh, up north in places that you never heard of. Uh, well, you may have heard of My Lai. There, That was in our operating uh, area. But you, you uh, would spend uh, three weeks in, in, the, in the bush, in the field. Then you'd spend one week on, on a forward fire base, which was a semi-secure area built on a little hill with a lot of concertina wire and booby traps all around the around the hill and some fortified fighting positions and ours had a, an artillery battery on top of the hill firing to fire support for the units out in the bush but you'd stay out in the bush sleeping on the ground or in the jungle wherever you happen to be for three weeks then you'd uh, get to come back to the rear and you could uh, get a shower and you get a hot meal and occasionally they'd, they'd send you a hot meal out to the field once in a while uh, when it was safe enough to do so. Describe the three weeks in the jungle, what that was like. Miserable. Temperatures ranged 110, 115 degrees in, in daytime. Humidity about the same. You're scared all the time because uh, you don't know where Mr. Charlie is and you knew he had bad intentions towards you. And uh, they had these uh, things called sappers, which uh, were the stealthiest fighters ever known to modern man they could walk right up behind you and do you harm and you never knew they were there till you bled out do you remember i'm sure you do your first encounter with Viet Cong? yeah i do what was that like very unpleasant that would be uh they were they were serious fighters with all they had luckily they didn't have much uh the Viet Cong would uh come up and throw everything at you they had and turn around and run hide and you couldn't tell the bad guys from the good guys they often didn't have over one magazine of ammunition they come shoot everything they had at you and then they turn around and run and and hide by the time you got your breath and got up they were gone how far into your deployment was that first encounter that was my first day in the field really yeah I spent a couple of weeks in, in the rear training, getting ready. They had what they call the jungle school at a place called Chulai. And that's two weeks of getting you ready. And that's where they introduced you to sappers and a lot of those other things. And, and it's kind of acclimating you to the temperatures over there, which were horrendous. But they sent us out in the field, and, uh, and I was expecting a, a very pockmarked, burned-out, ugly place and they set us on top of this hill and it was just gorgeous it was just i mean just beautiful and the uh lieutenant uh, i've been there about a day and was getting to smell pretty rank and uh the lieutenant said anybody want to go down the mountain and take a bath in the creek and several of us said we did 
So we all loaded up. We walked down the mountain, and there's a beautiful stream down there. And I was thinking it's about something like something in the Smokies, and it was. It was beautiful, except the stream was about 100 degrees temperature-wise. It was very hot. And, of course, she just uh, stripped off, and we kept security out on each end. And uh, we weren't much more than wet. Then uh, the bad guys were on the other side over there, and they started opening up on us. And there we were as they say, naked and afraid and not really close to our weapons, but we did have a machine gunner on each end who were, was spraying pretty heavily and tended to keep them down. So I got got shot at my first day in the field. And, uh, that's incredible. Yeah, that's what I thought. This, these sappers, describe what they look like in more detail. They look like Vietnamese. They would wear nothing but a, but a, uh, but a very tightly bound loincloth. They made no noise. They were... They were the stealthiest. They, they were amazing what they what they could do. And they were armed with what? Whatever they had. Uh, Sticks? Some knives, sometimes. You know, the Vietnamese had all these things. They would take bamboo, shave bamboo off at an angle, and bamboo, when it's cut at an angle, it's very sharp. And they would dip it in human feces and stick it in the ground, and they'd just wait on you to come along, and they'd shoot a couple rounds, wait on you to hit the ground. When you hit the ground, you'd fall on those bamboo sticks uh, with the, the feces on it and uh, with the, the temperature and the humidity over there those bacteria would grow and they'd make you really sick really quick and sometimes kill you how many of the people that you were close to physically and emotionally in your outfit didn't come back too many Doug I want to hear so much more about your compelling story would you please rejoin us next week mr saucerman i'd be most happy to do whatever i can do but understand one thing this is one man's experience and as best i remember it it was a long time ago but a lot of the memories are still very fresh doug taylor thank you for joining us for vital voices and most importantly thank you for your service thank you sir and join us next Saturday morning at 7 and Sunday afternoon at 2 when we continue our conversation with Doug Taylor about his experiences during the Vietnam War. I'm Fred Sausman.